0: Hello all, and welcome to this episode of No Home for Heroes. No Home for Heroes explores history's military mysteries regarding Americans who are missing in action from our past wars. These long-forgotten MIAs are remembered here. Today's episode is titled, Finding a Lost Tuskegee Airman, and I'm your host, Rick Stone. No Home for Heroes is a trademark production sponsored by the Chief Rick Stone and Family Charitable Foundation. For more information on the Foundation, visit our website at www.ChiefRickStone.com. If you're hearing this preview of No Home for Heroes on your YouTube or Audio Burst broadcast, we invite you to listen to the complete podcast on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast platform you prefer. Today's story recounts the loss and, hopefully, the discovery of one of America's first black heroes during World War II. All of us here at the Foundation want to dedicate this episode to another black American hero, Officer Alvin E. Moore, badge number 3532 of the Dallas Police Department. Al was one of my partners at the Northwest Patrol Division when he was shot and killed in the line of duty on a cold and snowy night in West Dallas on 13 November 1976. We think of you often, Al. May God bless you and keep you by his side. And now, on with our show. Today's episode is captured from case number 0322 in the investigative files of the Chief Rick Stone and Family Charitable Foundation. Today we're going to learn how a member of the famed group of black fighter pilots known as the Tuskegee Airmen went missing on an escort mission to Germany in 1944 and was never heard from again. Stay tuned because we think his crash site may have been found. But, (laughs) and there's always a but in history's military mysteries, the remains of the pilot could not be identified after the war. Is it possible that modern DNA science can provide the key to solving this 75-year-old mystery? Well, maybe, but there are problems even modern science will need to overcome. Stay tuned, and we'll tell you the full story on today's No home for heroes. The Tuskegee Airmen were a group of African-American military pilots who fought during World War II. They formed the 332nd Fighter Group of the United States Army Air Forces. All black military pilots who trained in the United States trained at Moton Field, the Tuskegee Army Airfield, and were educated at the Tuskegee University located near Tuskegee, Alabama. The 99th Pursuit Squadron, later termed the 99th Fighter Squadron, was the first black flying squadron and the first to deploy overseas to North Africa in April 1943. They were later assigned to Sicily and Italy. The 332nd Fighter Group, which originally included the 100th, the 301st, and the 302nd Fighter Squadrons, was the very first black flying group. It deployed to Italy in early 1944. In June 1944, the 332nd Fighter Group began flying heavy bomber escort missions, and in July 1944, with the addition of the 99th Fighter Squadron, it had four fighter squadrons in action. The 99th was initially equipped with the Curtis P-40 Walt Warhawk fighter-bomber aircraft. The 332nd Fighter Group and its 100th 301st and 302nd fighter squadrons were equipped for initial combat with the Bell P-39 Airacope and later with Republic P-47 Thunderbolts. And finally, with the aircraft with which it became most commonly associated, the North American P-51 Mustang. When the pilots of the 332nd fighter group painted the tails of their P-47s red, the nickname Red Tails was coined. The red markings that distinguished the Tuskegee Airmen included red bands on the noses of the P fifty ones as well as a red painted rudder. The P fifty one B and P fifty one D mustangs flew with similar color schemes, with red propeller spinners, yellow yellow <laughs> there's my Texas heritage, yellow wing bands, and all red tail surfaces. The Tuskegee Airmen were the very first. African-American military aviators in the United States Armed Forces. Let's talk a little bit about Fred Lorenzo Brewer, Jr. Fred Brewer stated he was born in Mecklenburg County, North Carolina, on August 4, 1921. His birth is supported by state records. At the time of the 1930 census, Fred was living with his parents, Fred L. Brewer, Sr. and Janie Brewer and a younger sister in Charlotte, North Carolina. Fred's father stated on the census that he worked as a, quote, bellboy, end quote, in a local hotel. Fred attended the 2nd Ward High School in Charlotte, North Carolina, where he graduated in 1938. After graduating from high school, Fred enrolled at Shaw University in Raleigh, North Carolina, where he completed four years of a college education. While a student at Shaw, Fred registered for the draft in 1942. He enlisted in the United States Army in Fort Bragg, North Carolina on 11 November 1942 and was assigned the rank of private. His period of enlistment was for the, quote, duration of the national emergency, end quote. He listed his residence as Charlotte, and he listed his mother as his next of kin. At the time of his enlistment, Private Brewer was unmarried but he would later marry during his training. In March 1944, Private Brewer was assigned as a cadet in Company 44C at the Tuskegee Institute Army Contract Flying School on the Tuskegee Army Airfield in Tuskegee, Alabama. Are you starting to see how they got the name Tuskegee Airmen? In April 1944, Brewer earned his wings as a pilot and was promoted to second lieutenant quite a jump from cadet private. He was first assigned to Selfridge Army Air Base near Detroit, Michigan, and later transferred again to Walterboro Army Airfield in Walterboro, South Carolina, in May 1944. Walterboro served as the last training base for pilots designated for overseas duty. While there, new Lieutenant Brewer was issued size 10.5B shoes. Lieutenant Brewer is listed as a Protestant in his official military records. Therefore, the letter P for Protestant may have been imprinted on his U.S. Army Air Force identification disk or dog tags. A studio photo of Lieutenant Brewer, Brewer available on the Internet does not include a chart to confirm his listed height of 69 and half inches. At the time of his enlistment, he was noted to be a half inch shorter at 69 inches and weighed 142 pounds. Lieutenant Brewer had black hair and brown eyes. His last dated dental examination and treatment was on 13 April 1944, about six months before his death, and it noted that he had four fillings, one extraction, and no wisdom teeth present at the time of the examination. As you'll see later in our show, this examination would be a pivotal point in our analysis of his recovery. Four other dental examinations are included in Lieutenant Brewer's individual deceased personnel file dating to the earliest one in November 1943. A compilation of these five examinations indicate a total of 11 fillings, one extraction, and still no wisdom teeth present. Lt. Brewer's medical records indicate that he had no previous breaks, fractures, major scars, or tattoos. By October 1944, Lt. Brewer was stationed at the Ramatelli Airfield in Italy. He was a member of the 332nd Fighter Group and a member of the 100th Fighter Squadron. On 29 October 1944, Lt. Brewer was included in his squadron's mission to escort bombers to the Regenbergs or Winterhaven, Germany, location for bombing. Lieutenant Brewer was piloting a P-51C Mustang fighter, model number 10-NT and serial number 43-25108. The squadron was transitioning to the newer P-51D model fighter, and Lieutenant Brewer's aircraft on that day was undoubtedly one of the older airplanes in the unit. Lt. Brewer's aircraft was nicknamed Traveling Light and was one of 350 of the same model and series that was built by North American Aviation Company in Dallas, Texas in 1943. At about 11.15 a.m., Lt. Brewer was observed by a fellow pilot, 2nd Lt. Charles H. Duke, to, quote, pull up too steeply and stall out, while attempting to climb with his squadron through an overcast. Lt. Duke then lost sight of Lt. Brewer's aircraft at about 19,000 feet as appeared to fall into the clouds. Lt. Duke presumed that Lt. Brewer would have had adequate time to bail out if necessary, no doubt due to the high altitude at which they were flying at the time. The location where Lt. Brewer was last seen by Lt. Duke was estimated to be 3.5 miles northwest of Delosch, Germany. Lt. Brewer was not seen or heard from again, and upon his squadron's return to base, Lt. Brewer was listed as missing in action. He was 23 years old when he was lost. In accordance with then existing federal law, Lt. Brewer's status was changed to killed in action on 30 October 1945. Research has traced what is believed to be the remains of Lt. Brewer to interment in the Mirandola, Italy Cemetery, where he was interned as an unknown. His number was listed as Unknown X-125. This unknown casualty was subsequently exhumed and buried in the Florence American Military Cemetery in Plot F, Row 2, Grave 20 in Florence, Italy. Where it lies to this very day. On June 17, 2017, an independent research team requested the assistance of the Chief Rick Stone and Family Charitable Foundation in attempting to get the U.S. government to disinter unknown X-125. The following details of this case have been analyzed by Foundation researchers and investigators and we'll think you'll find these very interesting. A witness to the burial of X-125 places an airplane crash near Mogio Udinisi, Italy. And I apologize, my Italian's a little rusty. This burial occurred on Sunday, 29 October, 1944, at about 11 o'clock in the morning. The witness stated that the remains were buried at the communal cemetery in row two, grave 30 in Mogio Udinisi. He identified the remains as being one American pilot of a single-engine airplane. The remains were described by the witness as being about four kilos in weight, which is about nine pounds. The witness described the remains as being in different pieces and completely burned, some in advanced carbonization. The witness further described markings on the aircraft as reading A L C L A D. Dash 24 S 10. This particular marking was a proprietary name of sheet aluminum manufactured by the Alcoa Aluminum Company and introduced in 1931. It was incorporated extensively in the manufacture of American military aircraft during World War II, and you guessed it, it was used by the North American Aviation Company in Dallas that built Lieutenant Brewer's P 51 Mustang. The date, the time, the location, and the witness description of the aircraft are in complete agreement with Lt. Brewer's aircraft and his last known location. In August 1946, the American Grave Registration Service exhumed the remains from the communal cemetery of Mozio, Udinese that were associated with the crash, and they are the ones that designated the remains as unknown ex 125. They also examined the crash site. The airplane motor could not be located as a large landslide had covered the crash site. However, the receiver of one caliber machine gun was found, and the American Graves Registration Service recorded the markings on the weapon as serial number 12475808, 50 caliber machine gun. The caliber of the weapon confirms that the airplane was an American military aircraft. And one of the 450 caliber machine guns installed on Lieutenant Brewer's aircraft was recorded as bearing serial number 1257808. Well, there's one digit off. The serial numbers on the Browning Model 250 caliber machine gun began with a single digit when first manufactured in 1917, approximately 2 million Of these machine guns were built during World War II. Therefore, it is more likely that a maximum seven digit serial number would be found on the receiver that was found by the Army Graves Registration Service in 1946 and not the eight digit number that they recorded. The similarity in the numbers, especially the identical last three digits, indicate that the crash airplane cannot be excluded as being Lieutenant Brewer's P 51. C. Mustang fighter nicknamed Traveling Light. There were only two losses of P-51 aircraft in the vicinity of northern Italy and southern Germany recorded on 29 October 1944. One was that of Lieutenant Brewer and the other was of Captain Alfonso W. Davis, also of the 332nd fighter group. Captain Davis's P-51D was believed lost near the Gulf of Trieste in bad weather at about 12.45 p.m. The Foundation currently has no information on Captain Davis or the circumstances of his loss, but due to the flight range, the known flight range of the P-51D Mustang, Captain Davis cannot be excluded as a possible match to unknown X-125. The only biometric evidence available in this case consists of the following. The age of unknown X125 was estimated by the Army Graves Registration Medical Officer to be between 23 and 25 years of age. Subsequent Foundation investigations utilizing our own Random Incident Statistical Correlation or risk system assesses a two-year up and a four-year down margin of error from the age range estimated by the original AGRS anthropologist. In the case of unknown X-125, the risk system margin of error estimates the age to be between 19 to 27 years of age. Lieutenant Brewer was approximately 23 years and 3 months old at the time of his death. His confirmed documented age is well within the risk system margin of error. The dental on Unknown X-125 was found with only one tooth present in the remains. The Army Graves Registration Service medical officer determined that this tooth was number L-8. Well, that's sometimes identified as number 16 on World War II era military charts. This numbering system is very confusing, but we have had a lot of experience working it out. The tooth was found to have an amalgam filling on the occlusal surface. L8, or number 16, is the last rear molar on the upper left side of the mouth, what is commonly known as a wisdom tooth. Somewhere out there, thousands of you are using your tongue to find the upper left side of the mouth and your wisdom tooth. That's the one. The primary means of identification utilized by World War II anthropologists was a dental correlation of the remains with records existent in military records. The Defense POW MIA Accounting Agency Laboratory continues to rely on dental comparisons for identification, sometimes even to the exclusion of using DNA matching, even when family reference samples of DNA are available. In 2016, the Department of Defense finally removed the antiquated DPA Laboratory as the primary identification entity and shifted this responsibility to the Armed Forces DNA Identification Laboratory, or AFDIL, in Dover, Delaware. A review of the dental charts of Lt. Brewer was made using the Foundation's computerized dental examination profile. This program is used to compare the post-mortem tooth found with X125 with Lt. Brewer's dental charts. On initial analysis, there is definitely a discrepancy. The four rear molars, commonly referred to as wisdom teeth, are usually excluded from the wrist system preliminary chart review due to the propensity of World War II era dentists to chart these teeth as missing or even extracted in relatively young recruits when, in fact, these wisdom teeth had not yet erupted. In the case of Lieutenant Brewer, all four of his wisdom teeth, including the infamous L-8 or number 16, were consistently charted as missing or extracted. Obviously, if Lieutenant Brewer's L-8 had been extracted, and if the Army Graves Registration Service Medical Officer was correct that the tooth found was actually L-8 and not another tooth, then Lieutenant Brewer is excluded as being X-125. However, this conclusion cannot be ascertained with any degree of confidence for the following reasons. World War II-era wisdom teeth were often considered superfluous to dental function by dentists. In fact, unerupted wisdom teeth were often extracted to prevent the pain of erupting during the gums later in life. While Lieutenant Brewer's multiple military dental charts were, were in the act, recorded the actual present or insertion of 11 amalgam fillings, there is absolutely no reference to the fact that L-8 or any wisdom tooth was filled or extracted by a military dentist. Based on this fact and the age of Lieutenant Brewer, it is more likely that his wisdom teeth had not yet erupted. Lieutenant Brewer's multiple military dental charts indicate that Lieutenant Brewer had amalgam fillings on the occlusal surface in at least six other molars. The expertise of the Army Graves Registration Service medical officer who examined unknown X-125 is unknown but his description of the skull being shattered with no mandible present and the remains as mangled makes it possible that the lone tooth found with X125 was not tooth number L8 but perhaps another of the molars. There are absolutely no other biometric measurements or anthropological determinations available for analysis at this time. The bottom line is Lieutenant Brewer cannot be excluded as a possible match To be X125, and he is upgraded to a probable match based on the limited biometric data sets I analyze. The final questions are whether or not there is a reasonable expectation that DNA can be extracted from unknown X125 of a suitable nature, and can the Department of Defense be expected to process the remains appropriately? It is known that fire and heat can destroy the capability to extract sufficient DNA sequencing material. Unfortunately, the circumstances of Lieutenant Brewer's death seem to describe this exact set of circumstances. And there is a witness station statement that confirms the burned state of X-125. Oddly, the Army Graves Registration Medical Officers Report specifically notes that the remains were not burned only mangle. Normally teeth are an excellent source of DNA material for comparison. A problem, however, may be encountered in any effort to identify X125 using teeth. While the one tooth was recovered by agris personnel in the original exhumation from the civilian cemetery near the crash site, and its subsequent reburial in the temporary American military cemetery in Mirandola, Italy, the dental chart for unknown X-125 when it was examined prior to its final burial in the Florence American cemetery does not show any teeth present with the remains. This is a problem. As we all know, all military mysteries have a problem. It is possible that the small tooth was lost in the second disinterment and transport prior to the final reinterment in Florence, Italy. This would put added pressure on the DPAA laboratory or AFTIL to be able to successfully extract DNA material from the non-dental skeletal remains of X-125 before submission to AFTIL for comparison and identification. Based on experience, the forensic capabilities of the Depau laboratory are considered to be very suspect. Well, let's talk about the bottom line conclusion. Given the state of anatomical evidence in this case, due to the limited amount of biometric data sets and conflicting dental records, there's very little possibility that the U.S. government will move with any degree of rapidity on a recommendation for disinterment or identification of unknown X-125. That said, It appears that this case has the possibility of resolution if the Department of Defense can be presented with a scenario where the principle of Occam's razor prevails. This logical theory states that one should not make unnecessary assumptions and that the answer to a problem is often the simplest. With that course of action as a guide, the bottom line is simply this. The circumstantial evidence in this case is sufficient to indicate that Lieutenant Brewer is a possible and perhaps probable match to unknown X-125. The possibility that Captain Alfonso Davis being X-125 cannot be completely eliminated, so he must be included as a possible match along with Lieutenant Brewer as a probable match. In conclusion, What we are seeking to do is to present the Department of Defense with the inescapable Occam's Razor conclusion that X-125 can only be Lieutenant Brewer or Captain Davis to the exclusion of every other one of the 73,000 missing American servicemen from World War II. If successful, the Department of Defense, beginning with the Defense POW MIA Accounting Agency, will have no choice, based on the findings, but to recognize any request for disinterment as legitimate and correct. Hopefully, this will one day lead to the lost Tuskegee Airmen, probably Lieutenant Brewer, but possibly Captain Davis, being recovered, identified, and returned home to his family. In 1976, I helped escort the body of my friend, Officer Alvin Moore. Home for burial with his family in Louisiana. Maybe someday we will have the honor to do the same for Lieutenant Brewer. Thank you for listening to this episode of No Home for Heroes. We hope you've enjoyed today's production and we invite you to check out our other episodes. You can now subscribe to listen free on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you like to listen to podcasts. Don't forget to tune in every Saturday when we will post a new episode of History's Military Mysteries, Missing in Action. Episodes of No Home for Heroes are produced from the actual investigative case files of the Chief Rickstone and Family Charitable Foundation, dedicated to providing information to the families of missing American servicemen and missing American servicewomen. As always, we greatly appreciate your comments, and a special link is available for you to contact us on our website at www.ChiefRickStone.com Our next episode is titled, Did Missing a Train Cost a Marine His Life? Learn how a Marine fresh out of training to be a barrage balloon crewman was late reporting for duty after a short furlough was granted to him after his graduation from the training school. You sure don't want to miss this one because we think his tardiness prompted his transfer to a combat unit where he became an MIA in his very first action. Is it possible that something so simple as missing a train ride cost this young Marine his life? Tune in, and we will tell you the full story next week on No Home for Heroes. Until next time, be careful, be safe, and wishing you fair winds and following seas I'm your host, Rick Stone, reminding you that poor is the nation that has no heroes, but shameful is the nation that having heroes forgets them.